Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I am honored to have as our conversation partner today, Lacey Finborgo. She is the author of Spiritual Conversations with Children, Faith Like a Child, and the children's book, All Will Be Well. She teaches and provides spiritual direction for the Renevara Institute and the Companioning Center. She's got a doctor in ministry and leadership and spiritual formation and a certificate in spiritual direction from Portland Seminary. Lacey, thank you so much for joining us today. So wonderful to be with you. Lacey, you've created some really compelling resources to help ministry leaders, parents, grandparents, neighborhoods, uh, leaders, teachers to engage kids spiritually. How, how is that a topic that you became passionate about? I became interested in children's spirituality after being a classroom teacher in inner city Rochester, New York, a sweet, sweet child who was having some behavioral issues was not allowed to eat lunch in the cafeteria any longer. And he was stuck with me, a brand new teacher who had more hubris than smart humility. (laughs) And I was overwhelmed. I had no idea what I was doing. So I just asked him, questions to keep him busy so that I could rest and sort of zone out. And because it was public school, I asked some questions that sort of honored separation of church and state. I asked him questions about goodness and beauty and those transcendentals that are true for all of us. And he began to talk and he talked every day during lunch from start to finish And I noticed when I finally decided to pay attention and not just zone out that there was a deep well within this child and that something was happening at a level that I I wasn't aware of. That sort of sparked my curiosity. And Lacey, what evolution did you see in that student over the course of the school year? I've heard this phrase before, listening someone to life. Hmm. And I found that that's actually true, that we can listen someone to life. He began to hear himself. He began to hear what is good about himself. And his behavior changed. He was not allowed back in the cafeteria until the next year. In his other classes, he shifted and there was a change in him. There was a freedom, a sense of sort of knowing who he was. And Lacey, just out of curiosity, what changed in you over the course of those conversations? Oh, way more perhaps than what changed in him. I began to see the multidimensionalness of children rather than sort of that. At the time, I had a master's in education. I had two education degrees, a bachelor's and a master's. And, but I began to see the multidimensionalness of children Um, the depth that I hadn't really been taught about in my education. I also began to get in touch with my own childhood self. Listening deeply to what was stirring in this child touched my own wounds and my own joys. I had to start to do a little bit of that work. Talk about where that journey took you. Was that one that you largely did on your own or did you invite other people into that journey? How How did that transpire? Sure. Yes. It, uh, yes, I did invite other people on that journey. I needed help. One is I asked someone from my church to be my mentor. And she took me through over the course of two years 
through Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. Mm -hmm. And it cracked open a depth in me, probably because she took two years to do it. So we weren't in any kind of hurry. And two, I hadn't in my own religious upbringing, hadn't experienced those, that sort of depth of spiritual life before. So I asked Jeanette Fernandez is her name. I also got a spiritual director, began to meet in pastoral counselings, and I just had a small group, some friends along the way to have conversation with. We truly need community as we, as we grow in our life with God. Lacey, talk a little about spiritual director. For some people, that's going to be a, a new term or a new concept. What is that? How does oh, it work? That's a great question. A spiritual director is, is simply a person who accompanies you in your life with God. So generally, you meet with a spiritual director once a month or every six weeks. So it's not like a therapist where you meet every day and you're not attending to a problem like you might be doing in therapy, an issue or something. Instead, you're keeping your life with God center focused. And this person is helping you to hear your own longings for God and helping you to work through some of those places that might need some healing. But essentially, a director is setting the table for you to encounter God. Hmm. Seems like you've come full circle. Like you you started listening with the student early in your journey, and now you've had others listen to you, and you're listening to yourself, and now you're helping (laughs) others listen to God. It's been a really consistent thread on your journey, it sounds like. Oh, it has been. Went through the Ignatian exercises, which are this nine-month journey where you really delve into the life of Jesus and help yourself identify Jesus in your own life, really move into it. And it was during that time that I realized I had been accompanying people in their life with God since I realized I was having a life with God of my own. And that led me to spiritual direction training. So accompanying others in their life with God. That is just stamped in my DNA. Well, thanks for doing it. It's it's important, meaningful, and transformative work. Lacey, as we talk about parents or people who have been tasked with a, a spiritual facilitator or spiritual guardian, primary disciple mm-hmm. role in a child's life, before we get into some of the tools that you've been able to identify that are helpful with children, what kind of listening questions or what kind of listening to our own hearts, longings, and yearnings do parents need to do for ourselves before we start coming up with tools to help children? How, how do we put our own oxygen masks on before we put <laughs> them on some small children who are traveling with us? <laughs> That's a wonderful question. Well, I think one of the great gifts that we give children is the gift of our own relationship with God. And we give, it's an indirect gift, but it is a gift. Um, so listening, what are our own desires and longings in our relationship with God? What is it that we want? What are some of those wounds? And we, that we stay conversant with that because those desires and longings are always sort of hot with possibility. And so are the wounds in our lives and that we are continuing to have conversation with God around those two things, both our desires and longings and our own woundedness. That helps us in more ways than I could possibly name. And one way is that it helps us not to project 
our desires and longings onto our children so that they have the freedom to have their own. And also it helps us to not project our woundedness onto our children because they too will have their own. Those are some very profound threads that you've identified Mm -hmm. there. What ways have you seen some of the people either in your own journey or people that Mm -hmm. you've worked with released some of those wounds and longings as it pertains to their parenting journey? I think journeying with Jesus and talking with Jesus about what we see in his lived experience of being a human being, being fully human and fully divine. I'm just thinking about, you know, when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he's had this wonderful experience, but then he gets down there and the disciples can't heal this boy who is having seizures and the father is upset and the crowds are yelling and the scribes are arguing with the disciples. It's a mess. Does that feel like for parents that time of day? when you're trying to get dinner on the table and people's homework needs to be done and someone can't find their soccer shoes. (laughs) And and maybe you started off your day feeling really connected with God, a little mount of transfiguration of your own. Jesus comes down into that place and he says some really harsh things. How can we as parents identify and, and have a sense of Jesus with us as we are struggling in a situation that is very human for all of us. So really encountering Christ in the warp and woof of our days and letting Jesus be fully human and fully divine in, for us in that way. Lacey, I love that because I, I, for, for me, my wife, Kelly, and I have four children. And I think that sometimes one of the greatest gifts others have given me or that I've been able to give myself is just that space to listen to my own longings for what I want for my children. Because I think mm-hmm. that sometimes just in, in the panic or in the quickness of life, we will will take on either scripts that our parents had for us or scripts that culture has for our kids or scripts that church has for our kids or mm-hmm. scripts that the idealized version of myself has for my kids rather than taking a pause and say, God, what do I really want for them? Mm-hmm. And is what I think I want for them what you want for them? And if not, mm-hmm. why not? And mm-hmm. that that can be a scary space to walk into. But it's also incredibly life-giving because I think it can prevent us, like you had said before, from maybe repeating that cycle of of projecting our our woundedness or trying to overcompensate for our woundedness or what our parents did or didn't do so that Mm. our kids have a different experience. That that there can Mm. be a lot of striving to make sure that like, I don't make these mistakes, rather that instead Mm. of fully living into that peace laced, open, patient, kind journey, not just with our kids, but with ourselves, with ourselves. Yes. With ourselves. And I, I love that passage of scripture where Jesus comes down because he's compassionate with himself. Yeah. And he's compassionate with the father who is really struggling. Can I add one layer of another dimension to our desires and longings and the importance of processing them with God? Because our children come with their own desires and longings. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can put all of ours that we feel like we've definitely, you know, we've put time in, we've discerned them well. We want to let them be in conversation with our children and as they are discovering their own longings. 
that's a place that has a lot of tension in it. Sure. Because I think that for many of us, the, the default sin, or if I could call it in kind of spiritual formation terms, lust is, is to control our children's outcomes and their behavior, and maybe even subconsciously to try to control their desires. And for those of us who have made those mistakes, we know how violently that can backfire. Can we also just normalize it and say, of course we do that. Sure. Of course we do that. And it's important to acknowledge it and to be aware of it and to be asking those questions so that the children can express their own and discover their own desires, their own longings. And I will say as a parent of a, I have a 21 year old and an 18 year old that it is the most, the most trusting journey I could have ever had to go on. I have to trust God for these people that I love more than life itself. I have to trust God with my own longings and maybe some of the loss that I feel when my longings don't match theirs. I think that that whole language of grief and lament that pairs disappointment for what some of us want, want for our kids or wanted for our kids or think we want for our kids is, is a new language or experience for us. And I think that that can be, that can be holy in its own right. That, that mourning and that releasing. Have have you experienced that? Mm, No, (laughs) have I experienced that? Did I say they're 21? And 18. You did. Yeah. Um, yes, I have experienced that. And the, the wonderful thing, again, about the particularity of the Christian faith, which is all wonderfully tied up in the life of Jesus, is that Christ enters into that grief with us. Mm-hmm. And when we will give it kind of voice and space, it knits our hearts together with his and that is its own growth for us. It's our, it's our own deep attachment to, to God who is with us, Emmanuel. Lisa, in your own journey, what are some of the practices that you've used as not just a disciple, but as a parent to, to align your will and your longings and your heart with what you sense God's will and longings and heart for, for your life and your parenting journey is? Mm. Well, um, a a couple of things. Um, One is you can clearly hear that I value being with Jesus in the Gospels and the stories of his life. I think that's essential. We're going to call ourselves Christians and live in the way of Christ, living and intermingling our stories with his stories is essential. And it has been so life-giving to me. Um, to read my life through the life of Jesus. And the second is, and this is so hard to come by, and it's a stretch, is we need spaces of silence and solitude as parents. We have to have a bit of emptiness to reflect on what is happening within us. We just need space for that which is deep within us to break loose and come to the surface. So what helped me as a parent was to try, and it didn't, I didn't always succeed, but to have at least 20 minutes of silence every day by myself. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't filling it with devotionals, although I did read devotionals, I was in the scriptures, but just to sit 
and listen and be very still and hear what God might bring to the surface or my own wounds that can get broken up and come to the surface. So I give them a place to be so that they don't, and they still sometimes did, but it's less likely that they break loose at other times. And then I tried to get away like maybe for a 24 hour period once a month. As the kids got older, that became more possible. When they were young, I was having silence and solitude in the pantry, um, <laughs> 10 minutes, you know, little fingers under the door. What are you doing in there? <laughs> so being gentle with ourselves about what season that we're in, but be in the gospels, find some silence and solitude for your life. Lisa, that's so good. I remember hearing the story of Susanna Wesley, like, you know, 200 years ago, who would put the, the legend was that she would put her apron over her head in the middle of her <laughs> kitchen. And she's surrounded by all these small people saying, this is my, this is my alone time. <laughs> Fair enough. Absolutely. Your pantry can be your monastic cell. Maybe we could just say that. That's so good. Well, so, so, and, and I'm, I'm still learning this. So I've got one of our, our second daughter is 16. She plays in an indoor soccer league and she had a game last night and it, it was getting contentious and I could find myself getting a little bit more animated than I wanted to be. And my wife very mm -hmm. gently said, you need to calm down. And it was, I felt like it was in that moment where I just, I've got a smart watch. So I just set the mindfulness timer on my watch for a minute right. to be able to say, I'm just going to breathe. I'm not going to talk. I'm not even going to watch the game. I'm going to stare <laughs> at my watch and I'm going to breathe for a minute. And it was amazing how quickly, it was able just to change my perspective and slow down my heart rate and allow me to reset and say like the outcome of this game do doesn't matter how I handle myself, especially in front of my other daughter who's watching with me does. Yes. And, and you're right. We can, if, if we're realizing obviously a tw 20 minute blocks are, are beautiful and 24 hour blocks are ideal. But sometimes if all we have are one minute blocks, kind of like how, how Nehemiah prayed that arrow prayer in the presence of the King, when, when he needed, a, needed God to intervene, sometimes we can do that in real time, even when we don't think that we can. Mm -hmm. There was a season of my life where I had come across this ancient prayer. I am thine, save me. And so I was breathing it in. I am thine. Save me. I am thine. Save me. And I, I couldn't sort of remember to pray it. So I wrote it on my hand in pen. I am thine. Save me on the palm of my hand. So I could see it throughout the day. And my handwriting is so bad that my brother thought it said, I am a thin sausage. <laughs> no. So, you know, whatever kind of prayer um, intention that helps you to get really connected right. to that stream of living water. Right. And I, I love the ideas from the spiritual formation and spiritual direction tradition that, that practices shape us, whether we mm -hmm. feel them shaping us or, or not. It's, it's mm -hmm. almost like exercise. Some people are like, well, I want to exercise for three days and get immediate results. Well, that's not how it works. And the right. same is true for our minds and our spirits as well. Right. I think it's Dallas Willard who said that our habits eat our willpower for breakfast. Hmm. So those habits definitely shape and form us. That's great. That's so good. Lacey, talk a little bit about the, your uh, All Will Be Well, the, the children's mm -hmm. book that you recently completed. What, what was the genesis behind this particular project? I uh, practice spiritual direction with adults and with children. And with children, I practice at a place called Haven House, which is a transitional facility for families who don't have housing. 
and a family of children had lost their grandmother. She had passed away and she was their primary caregiver. And as I reflected on it, and we are in the, I wrote it in 20, or finished it in 2020. We're in the middle of a pandemic and, and many children are seeing death and losing people that they love. And so um, what was the thing that I wanted these children most to know that because of God's love, we last, we last. We last, we live and we last because God loves us. And, and, and also, so not but, but and, that living and that lasting is true when we are experiencing anger and grief, when we feel sad and loss, that these aren't opposite sides of a coin. These are the same side. We can... We can know that the person whom we loved who has died is loved by God and still continues on. And we can be angry and sorrowful and sad about it. So when you finished this book, did you share it with those particular children? You know, I didn't get the chance to because it's a transient facility and they moved on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's a, I wish I could have, I mean, I have read it there um, since then, but these particular children, I I didn't get to. How do you see God using the book? Like what have been some of the moments where you've seen light bulbs go on for some of the, the kids that you're having opportunity to connect with as you, as you read this to them and discuss it with them? Um, Some of the places that I've seen it is with children and adults. I've seen adults take it and um, read it to themselves over some, some losses that they are experiencing. That was a surprise and a beautiful surprise to see some of the adults kind of tuck it away for themselves. For children, the illustrations are terrific. They really are very beautiful, expressive, playful. And they show the child, Julian is the little girl's name. They show her angry, confused, frustrated. And so it sort of gives children permission to express how they feel uh, around loss. I asked the illustrator, Rebecca Evans, if she would put a dog throughout the whole thing to represent, be a metaphor for the accompanying of the spirit with Mm -hmm. us in seasons of loss. And so if you'll notice, the dog is almost always present and the dog is leaning or licking or guiding in just that way that the spirit accompanies us in hard seasons. And so children have said, oh, the dog, they notice the dog throughout the whole thing. I could say, well, how is that like God? Like you feel God's presence right now. How is it? It's not God, but how is it like God? Oh, God is comforting. God is warm. Um, I know that I'm not alone. I can cry my tears into God. Yeah. 
Lacey, I love that. I think that I was working with somebody who is functioning as a type of spiritual director for me a few years ago. And one of the great questions that he gave me is in some of your moments of, of deep loss or deep disappointment or deep frustration with God, a, a helpful framing listening question is, God, will you show me where you were present in that mm. moment, even if I didn't have eyes to see it in real time? And, and those have been deeply moving listening sessions because- mm. In your cognitively, if you've got your theology lined up the way that we think you're supposed to, you know that God is present in all ways and in all things. But sometimes we're our pain blinds us to the mm. presence and the nearness of God in those moments. Mm. Before I wrote this book, I met with a child again who had lost their grandmother. That's a, an occurrence. And she's riding the bus home every day after school, and it's in the fall. And I'm saying, so how are you noticing God near to you? She can't really put language to it at first, but she does notice that the cottonwood trees, yellow leaves, the leaves are starting to turn yellow. She knows that means they're dying. Hmm. She notices that they start to fall off and they're on the ground. And one day she just says, I think the cottonwood trees are God crying with me. Hmm. And then through winter, when the, 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 you know, the branches are bare, she's having this experience of kind of the emptiness that comes from loss. And she, again, has this, this sense that God is with her in the emptiness of the branches on the tree. And she's talking about this. Mm. And then when they start to get their little green buds in the spring months later, she feels God giving her a little bit of hope. Um, her life will look like now without her grandmother. It was remarkable um, for me to see her um, and witness, really, God meet her in this process of trees losing their leaves. What a beautiful metaphor. And again, a, a great reminder to us that listening can come through so many different forms, that listening can come through art and listening can come through solitude and listening can come through reflection in nature, right? That God mm. uses all of these different avenues to, to speak to, to us. And of course, we want all of those, the grid to be scriptural, that we receive all of those learnings. We want to check mm -hmm. it against that and, and check it in community, right? To have others mm -hmm. who know us well, help us mm -hmm. discern and process that listening. But mm -hmm. it's just a beautiful reminder, especially as parents, that sometimes the, the stress that we feel is that all of, all of the communication from God and about God for my child has, has to come through me or has to come through me and a Sunday school teacher or me and a children's mm -hmm. pastor. And for us just to have peace and great calm and gratitude in knowing that God has infinite tools at his disposal mm -hmm. to break through to our kids and give mm -hmm. them the gifts that they need to receive and, and the healing that unfortunately we as parents are, are limited in our ability to, to facilitate. I remember the first time that I read the parable of the sower early time, because I, I read the scriptures even as a child. I love the gospels as a child, but anyway, and I come from a long line of cotton farmers in West Texas. I remember reading this parable of the sower where the sower is just throwing handfuls of seed out everywhere. And I thought that is the most irresponsible <laughs> sower because we would never do that. You don't throw seed on a sidewalk. You don't throw it in a patch of weeds. You don't throw it on rocky ground. No, no, you're very careful with seed. Sure. But then I, then the spirit was like, 
lazy. That's a scarcity mindset. Mm. I am the generous gardener, good shepherd, holy farmer. I have more seed than you can possibly imagine. I can afford to throw it out everywhere. It's literally everywhere, kid. And I was like, I got it. That's great. And, and I love that, that mentality to be able to say, because God is generous and because Christ through his death and resurrection has won the capacity for us to also be generous. Wouldn't it be great if, if emotional generosity and abundance yeah. was the baseline for our parenting rather than a, a great day or, or a high point in our parenting? Right. Oh, that's a great, that, that's, I don't need to sit with that today. <laughs> as, as do I. <laughs> Talk, talk a little, just briefly before I let you go about your, Mm. about your other books of faith, like a child and spiritual conversations with children. Just, Mm. can you give us a thumbnail sketch for people who might be curious about picking those up as well? Sure. Uh, spiritual conversations with children, listening to God together. It is about, um, listening with children and the work that I do at Haven house. And it's about parents and grandparents and spiritual directors and pastors. And just to teach us how to listen alongside of children. It has a lot of stories in it just so we can catch a vision of what that can look like. And when you say children, what age range are you typically referring to for this particular book? Yeah, um, well, um, I, I have sat with children who are four years old all the way up to 16 years okay. old. So we focus mainly on children because adolescent spirituality is a whole other monkey. Okay. And maybe I need to write that book someday. But, uh, well, I look forward to reading it. <laughs> and, and, and your other one, Faith Like a Child. So Faith Like a Child is um, really following Jesus's invitation to us to that children invite us into the kingdom of God, that they help us to know what it looks like and what it feels like to be a child of God. And so we are welcoming our childhood selves. We are learning imagination, the gift of humor, and what it looks like to play as adults so that we become childlike again in the way of Christ. So good. Lacey, any closing thoughts or words of encouragement for parents who might be feeling overwhelmed when it comes to the discipleship and the formation of their young children? Mm, Maybe two things. One is that Remember that it's not up to you, Hmm. that the spirit is the one who longed your children into existence, that the spirit um, is the hound of heaven and will never, ever give up on pursuit. And your children are wired for that relationship. It's already there. So take a deep breath. Know that you can trust the spirit with this. And the second is be gentle with yourself. Just be gentle with yourself. Thank you so much. Those are great gifts. Lacey, if people are curious about your ministry or want to learn more about the things that you're doing, where where can they go to get more information? Uh, They can go to my website, gooddirtministries.org. Great. Well, Lacey, thanks again for your time and your input. Uh, I'm so grateful for the, the gift that your story and that your words, just, just your tone and your posture, mm. in addition to your many words, uh, have been to me and so many others. Uh, and thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, what a wonderful way to start the day. Great conversation. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.